I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo, and I am not the Mary Juliet. I am Mary because it's Christmas time. I love Christmas time, it's my favorite time of the year, except for spring uh, and <laughs> autumn and summer. <laughs> it's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, so what's shaking bacon? Wow, um, I had to think about it. Uh, let's see. So, I did my bit yesterday as a patriotic American, and I went out and I supported the economy. I've oh yes, bet excellent. Two hundred dollars on Christmas ornaments to oh. put on a tree. I yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I really. I I'll say I really love them. You send better believe pictures. I love them. I want to see them. I will send you pictures. Okay, uh, well, good. it was ornaments for the tree, and then uh, some decorations for the house. And it's absolutely ridiculous because what the fuck? Why do well, I need Christmas? Would do the same thing. <laughs> So, I, know, I know you understand. <laughs> totally understand. It's totally worth it. Christmas is important. Christmas Especially is if the you're going to have guests, important. then it's super important. Yeah, I've got to foster that. I have to generate the Christmas spirit in yes. them. And they need ornaments and baubles and candles and, and in order to feel Christmassy. And pillows and, and quilts and pillows. Ceramic houses. <laughs> ceramic, yes. Um, so, yeah, so I did my bit uh, and it was awesome i loved it uh let's see i still have yet to go to the outlet store near my house or not near my house it's not near my house at all it's like an hour away but i've got to go there maybe after christmas i can get all this christmas stuff on sale it is life-changing and you will go every weekend i I promise you you you'll build time into your weekend to go to the outlet all right cool yeah and then one day brent will be looking for you and he'll be like Oh, yeah, it's Saturday. She's at the she outlet. She must be at the outlet. <laughs> that James wakes up on Saturday, and he doesn't even say Theo, right? Because he knows, he knows I'm are. not home. Oh, how fun. Um, but anyway, so we put the Christmas tree up. Well, I put the Christmas tree up, and it's an artificial yes. one, and I'm not happy about that. But I just I can't spend money on a real tree now because it's like yeah. they're so expensive. It's 100 bucks for just like a normal Christmas tree. It, I don't it used think that's to be 50. expensive, but I guess I guess it is. I mean, it's, for something you only use for, well, I guess you use it for three weeks a year, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem that bad. How much did you say you spent on ornaments? Well, how dare you use my words against me? <laughs> don't try that. I'm too, I'm too smart for, to allow that to happen as it's happening, but not smart enough to prevent it from happening. Um yeah, so, no, that, yes, if I didn't have an artificial Christmas tree, I would have spent the money, and I would have said, hey, it's Christmas, it's once a year, this is what you have to do, yeah. right? Plus, yeah, I have to have a tree. Um, of course. So cool. So I put up the artificial tree, and um, and I put it in a place in the living room, 
And James was like, why is it there? It should go there. And I was like, well, it's here because we're going to have a lot of people over during Christmas Uh and we're all going to be around the Christmas tree singing songs and Uh I need room for us all to dance. (laughs) It was like, it can't go there. It's got to go. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait in the dining room. In, in the, the dining, dining room. room. Who fucking put... Sorry for all of you people who do put your Christmas tree in the dining room. Nobody who fucking puts a Christmas tree? Room. I mean, no. rarely use the dining room. Why would you put a Christmas tree there? How are you going to have Christmas morning in the dining room? Exactly. I mean, if That's we're going to cover the dining room table with a white tablecloth and put a Christmas village there and turn it yeah. into the Christmas room, yeah, then, yeah. you know, maybe, okay, that can be like a secondary room, but yeah. the Christmas tree goes in the living room so I can look at it while I'm watching TV. You could even have another Christmas tree in the in the living in the dining room, but not the main Christmas tree. Right. Exactly. Listen, you and I need to live together because We're on the same you page get about it. Christmas. Exactly. For sure. It's it would be an amazing Christmas wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> I'd let you start early, not not before Halloween, because I I need the no, I need the, the pumpkins, but, right? Yeah. But, but yeah. the day after Halloween, sure, sure. go for it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Look how happy you are. I'm um, happy. So yeah. So this morning. So anyway, he came up with this whole plan for like where the tree should go, and yeah. you know, I was like, no, no, no. And then he played the whole card of, um, well, I guess I don't have a voice in this. Oh come on. Oh, I'm sorry, you poor orphan. That yeah, you right. don't get to dictate where the Christmas tree is going don't. to go. <laughs> I, well, see, I can't be that upfront about things. I have to be very <laughs> subtle that I'm the one who's in charge. That yeah. um, I run things. It's you know. So, um, so anyway, this morning I got up and moved the tree and rearranged the living room a little An inch tiny bit. The dining room. <laughs> towards the dining room. <laughs> I I think I've got it. Compromise. What I will say is, um, I'll argue this one. It needs to stay where it is, right? Because yeah. it doesn't yeah. go in the dining room. So anyway, no. that's what's shaking bacon here. What's shaking bacon? I left the house. <laughs> On purpose or were you? On purpose. I went to get my eyes checked. Um, oh, wow. So, I mean, it was exciting. It's not Christmassy at all. But um, I, I uh, of course, I had to buy the, I had to pick out what turned out to be the most expensive frames in the store. And the woman behind the counter said, I knew as soon as you walked in that you were going to go right for those glasses. <laughs> <laughs> And I did, um, but it's just a lens crafter, so they weren't that expensive. Um, but the lens crafters was in this mall that's that was com- I don't know if I told you it was completely deserted. There were like three other people in this entire mall, and of course none of the three people were masked. Um, so it was like this deserted mall with Christmas decorations, and it was so depressing. And then they mentioned at the at the um, lens crafters that the mall was getting ready to be torn down. So I was thoroughly oh. depressed after. Um, after that, I thought it would be a nice little visit to a mall, and it would be busy because it was right before Christmas, and people would be shopping and all happy, and uh-huh. it was just very sad. So that was that's my Christmas story for the week. Oh well, I was in Pottery Barn yesterday buying expensive Christmas ornaments, and uh-huh. at the checkout can the checkout can <laughs> the checkout can. <laughs> yeah, so I was at the checkout can and um, <laughs> talking to the lady. And it was taking a long time to to ring things up, right? Not because yeah. I bought so many things, but because it was just taking a long time to. She was very yeah. sweet. Yeah. And so I was like, "Hey, it's real busy in here. Has it been a busy Christmas season?" And she was like, "Yes, it is." Really? And so I'll say, because you know, I'm keeping an eye on the economy. I 
I can't be the only person to keep it afloat. And sure. I did notice that like people were out, people are buying stuff. So this How whole weird. like, oh, there's a recession coming. I mean, maybe, but didn't look that yeah. way to me. Definitely. And I'm looking for it. I'm looking for signs of it. Not yet. Wow. Well, I, th- I think it's going to happen too. I told my mother to take her her money out of uh, um, out of stocks and put it in these. I don't know what the, I forget what it's called. Some sort of savings account that's that. Uh, it's called the Juliet account. It's called a Juliet account. Yeah, just put it in my bank. Um, but yeah, so I was, uh, so I'm convinced there's going to be a recession. But that's not very Christmassy. So let's not talk about that. Um, let's not talk about that. Let's nothing talk else about is going on. Uh, well, next weekend we're going to. Um, we're going to this hotel. It used to be the Sir Francis Drake on Union Square. Oh, yeah. And it's been bought by uh, some other company, and now it's called the Beacon Grand. I guess the company is Beacon. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so we're going to go out there and go out to dinner and spend the night in a nice hotel and do some Christmas shopping in Union Square and some Christmassy stuff um, after I get my hair cut that day. So it's going to be very busy uh, for me because I don't usually do anything ever. Um, so it'll be fun. Looking forward to that. And then That sounds also, awesome. Also, I'm trying to get my countertops replaced because they need it. I don't think I talked about this last week, did I? Um, no. It's, I'm I mean, sure to I me. Did. Yeah, to you I did. Um, but they're falling apart, basically. The person who lived here before us looks like he basically built the kitchen himself. So um, it's kind of kind of half-assed. Although it looks pretty good for being built by some dude. Um, but I don't know what the countertop is made of. It's like painted wood or something, so it's ridiculous. Um, so we re- really need another countertop, and I'm looking uh, online at all of the um, and sending you pictures of all the granite and quartz that I'm looking at. Right, which stone do I like I the really most? Like, but the contractor wants to go out with us to look at the um, at the at the various types of quartz and pick something out with us, which is really nice of them to do that for us. So I think we're going to do that maybe next week or maybe after Christmas. I haven't decided yet. Oh, uh, that's cool. And I'm going to say. Um, that, yeah, you put a lot of effort and energy and a lot of nervous energy and there's a lot of anxiety around picking the absolute right thing. Right. Um, but, uh, definitely you're on track with quartz. Quartz is perfect and That's safe good. and great. And then, um, you'll, you'll spend hours agonizing over, do we want really th- nice veins streaking through or do you exactly. want something that's more and then they go up and you'll never look at them again they'll just always be but there if I like a the wrong thing every time i walked in the kitchen i'd be like ew why did i pick that so it has to be the right thing that you can ignore otherwise you, you'll hate it every <laughs> that's time such you see a good it. point <laughs> it has so to be the know. right thing I mean, you can ignore you're right I can't. Um, I can't even decide right now if I want gray or white. I mean, I think I want white, but anyway, it's not important. So let's talk about Christmas. <laughs> let's talk about something else. It's not that is important. Sorry, I thought you were going to go to the war on Christmas, but um, yes, let's talk about Christmas. 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 Christmas, Christmas. So today's story is the opposite of the famous, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus story. Uh, If you don't remember, that's the story of a little girl who wrote to the Kansas City Sun, which was a newspaper. We used to have these things, kids called newspapers, where you get all your news from. Uh, You had to buy them, and they would get delivered to your door every morning, and then you would pick them up physically and unfold them and read them. Um, But this was 1897, I believe, Um, and this little girl, Virginia, said that her friends were claiming there was no Santa Claus, and that her dad had told her, if you see 
see it in the sun, it's so. So she wrote a letter to the sun uh, saying, is there a Santa Claus? And the editor there wrote an editorial replying that yes, there is a Santa Claus because Santa Claus is in all our hearts or some bullshit like that. So anyway, that's a famous story that gets trotted out every year at Christmas and everyone goes, oh. <laughs> I just did. I was, oh, I love that story. It, then when you said trotted out, I was like, oh, that's not going to go in the right place. Well, that's what happened in 1897, but what happened last week was that an Italian bishop told a group of young children who were about seven years old that there is no Santa Claus. Boo! Boo! Boo. In Sicily, at a local arts festival, Bishop Antonio, okay, his last name is supposed to be pronounced Stagliano, but we're going to pronounce it Stagliano because that's how we are in, the, in America, um, told a group of grade school kids on a school trip that Santa Claus is an imaginary character. He went on to say that the red color of Santa's coat was chosen by Coca-Cola for advertising purposes. Big Soda, he added, uses the image to depict itself as an emblem of health, healthy values. So he's right about I Santa love, Claus. I love what? Big Soda. <laughs> So he may or may not be right about Santa Claus being imaginary, but he's actually wrong about Santa Claus's coat color being chosen by Coca-Cola. So Santa, Santa Claus and Coca-Cola have been intertwined for many years, but um, Santa Claus having a red coat comes from that poem, right? What was the poem? The Night Before Christmas, I think, uh, they mentioned his oh, coat being red. And well, his basic... Yes, but, but that, but also um, the one of the one of the historical figures that Santa Claus is based on. So he's an amalg... What's the word where it's a combination? Thank you. Of of a couple of historical figures. St. Nicholas Nicholas? of Turkey actually famously wore red robes when he gave gifts. So there's that aspect of it too. But but you're right. He he was in red long before Coca-Cola put him in red. Yeah. Although, although, like I said, Coca-Cola and Santa Claus have been... been, uh, Oh yeah, intertwined for many years. So, so he's not entirely wrong. Um, but according to one of the teachers, he even told the kids that their parents were lying to them about Santa. Um, he said, "I know that's a little bit much, right? To tell to tell your kids that your parents are lying to them is a bit much in any case, um, especially around Christmas time. It's just beyond the pale." So to speak. I'm going to say he just strikes me as somebody who's super jealous. He's a cardinal, right? <laughs> He's a he's a monsignor. He's a bishop. Oh darn! Okay, I thought he was a cardinal, and like I know the cardinals wear red, and so just jealous, jealous, jealous. But okay, I don't know what monsignors (laughs) wear. Someone stole his red. Um, He said uh, Santa Claus or Stagliano said, with all due respect, Santa Claus only brings gifts to those who have money. Is Father Christmas everyone's father or just some? He asked. Um, Fortunately, after the bishops talked at the festival, Santa Claus arrived at the church, so the kids are happy. So they forgot all about everything you said, at least for the time being, um, and we're happy to see Santa Claus, who gave them little little gifts like pencils and stuff like that. So, may I say, okay. as a non-religious person, mm-hmm. I think it's very rich that someone who believes in an invisible man who lives in the sky, <laughs> right, dare get upset talk about, about Santa Claus. right, yeah, 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 I hear you. 
Um, so in later comments, uh, he didn't really apologize. He actually kind of doubled down. He said, uh, the kids were old enough to already know that there was no Santa Claus. If we knew, he said, referring to his generation, imagine these kids with their smartphones. And he claimed that he only hoped people would return to the origins of St. Nicholas, the 4th century Bishop of Myra in modern day Turkey, who gave to the poor, saved women from prostitution, and prioritized kindness over materialism. So I didn't tell him that Santa Claus doesn't exist, which is a lie. I mean, talk about lying. He, right. he said Santa Claus didn't exist, and then later on he goes back and says, I didn't tell him that Santa Claus doesn't exist. But we talked about the need to distinguish what is real from what is not. A real fact has come out, namely that Christmas no longer belongs to Christians. The Christmas atmosphere of lights and shopping has taken the place of Christmas. Who has anything against lights and shopping? That's like the highlight of my year, lights well, and shopping. Right. Um this gets to the whole like war on Christmas, right? Oh, let's hear about the war on Christmas. Oh, well, okay. So I stupidly, of course, I've always heard about like the war on Christmas. Yeah. And I, I never really quite understood exactly what, what, what it was. was, right? Yeah. I, I thought the war on Christmas was just sort of like, um, boo, you don't like Christmas. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. But it was, it's about like, oh, you can't say Merry Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure if I had if I had sat down and thought about it for like five more seconds, I would have realized, oh, this is Christian saying that Christianity sure. is being erased from Christmas. Right. The, and that sort of was there, but not really. I just kind of thought it was more not so much about the word. I just yeah. never really gave it a lot of thought because I've always found sure. the whole premise absolutely stupid and ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Right? There's no war on Christmas. There's a Christmas war that's waged against me and my checking account. <laughs> All of us, yes. Right. Every, well, yeah, but it's about me. Right. You know, <laughs> of course, the, the, I everything's about me. How how dare you? So um <laughs> let's uh let's take a look at Kind of the history of the war on Christmas, like this idea that there's a um, a conspiracy to remove Christ from Christmas, right? And we could just start with the name of the event. Yeah. Christmas comes from the Christ Mass, which um, was not a major holiday, a holy day mm-hmm. in the church calendar, um, but... However, things change. I won't get into the history of Christmas or why it became important. And kids, um, we have a couple of episodes, and I think our nativity uh, scene episode talks more about the development of Christmas, right? So this is the war on Christmas. Um, Okay, so Santa Claus is the secular anchor of Christmas. Um, Our modern-day concept of Santa is largely believed to have come from a Coca-Cola marketing gimmick in the 1930s. But in the 1930s, Santa was already a familiar figure to Americans. There just wasn't a uniform idea as to his appearance. That's a pun, and it's staying. <laughs> um, Santa appeared not just in the Coca-Cola ads in the 1930s, but he was also featured in Ladies, Ladies Home Journal. Um, Santa Claus, by 1930, was the lord of capitalism. He was also a symbol of the power of children's imagination and innocence, um, and this this trend took root in the culture as children were seen as something that was more precious than as a resource to earn additional money for the family. So um, oh, kind of taking a look at what was childhood, yeah. um, you were just a little adult, 
yeah. I'm speaking in broad generalizations here, and yeah. I understand that, but we'll just go with it for the purpose of my story, right? Yeah. It's so that everything I say now sounds true. Um, and so little adults went out and they earned money and they worked and child labor was a thing, right? You were hired because your hands were super tiny and they could get into the machines and pull out little bits and bobs. Such beautiful stitches. Uh, it's beautiful stitches. Oh my God. <laughs> delicate, delicate needlework. Delicate, um, yes. So, uh, children had gotten their labor rights in 1938 and in 1938, when the labor act was passed, um, it was any child under the age of 16 was not allowed to work, right? Uh, Prior to that, 1937, if eight years old, you had a job, right? Yeah. Um, and let's see. So in 1938, and while the cult of um, domesticity was a core component of Victorian culture, so late 1800s into the early 1900s, um, children um, were seen as a precious commodity, but really for wealthy families, right? Middle class and lower middle class, children were a resource. But the cult of domesticity, um, which was one of the main, how would I put it? Like when we think of uh, Victorian, of the Victorians, mm -hmm. the images that we have in our mind yeah. come to us because they reinforced the cult of domesticity. I love that word. I'm just going to keep saying it, right? Um, but, but that was a reality principally for the upper middle class, right? Um, by the 1930s, the U S was coming out of the great depression and the middle class had a little more income. Um, wages were raised for adults when children were legally forced out of the labor market. Um, as children became more, I'll use the word precious again, but by that, I just mean valued for being a child as opposed to their contributions they could make to the family, be that chores or be that income. Mm -hmm. um, they were in need of a more huggable religious figure. Um, Christian accused Santa of trying to replace Jesus. And I love this idea because it's, it's definitely for a person like me who grew up in a quasi religious family, we were raised Catholic. Um, I remember as a little kid watching, um, oh gosh, what's that? Oh my God. The one with Scrooge, the movie with Scrooge. Yes, that's it. I remember as a little kid, I was probably six years old, right? Yeah. Um, watching that and being like, oh gosh, I could help Mr. Scrooge. I would just uh -huh. tell him about Jesus and then he wouldn't hate <laughs> Christmas anymore. I mean, that was my, that was how I was going to fix Scrooge as uh -huh. a six year old. Right. Because within A Christmas Carol, there was never really any mention of Jesus. That's true. Um, huh? And so um, let's see. Okay. So, so getting back and tracking children had become um, more precious, less of a resource and so things that comforted children started coming into the foreground in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Christians didn't like a mild judge and wondered who brought the Santa person into the mix. Mm. The idea that there is a liberal agenda to erase Christianity out of Christmas is not new. Uh, this goes back uh, to the 1920s. Henry Ford 
Thank you for uh, your innovations around, I'm going to call it the marketing line, and that's not it. It's the manufacturing, assembly, the assembly line. Assembly line, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Henry Ford's famous for the Ford car, Ford motor car, and he made um, a ton of them, and uh, having a ton of them made them affordable to people, but he was such an awful person. Um, So, oh my, I'm sure you know, but. I don't, but I believe you. Oh, Henry Ford? What a piece of shit. Get ready. Um, so was he the Elon Musk of his day? Oh, uh, yes. And yeah. more vocal. So oh Henry God. Ford was an avid proponent of the idea that someone, or more precisely, some group, was waging a war on Christmas. Last Christmas, most people had a hard time finding Christmas cards that indicated in any way that Christmas commemorated someone's birth. Hmm. This is a statement that uh, was written in the International Jew, the world's foremost problem. Uh, this what? widely, yeah. Um, so Henry Ford, wow. Henry Ford wrote, "Last Christmas, most people had a hard time finding Christmas cards that indicated in any way that Christmas commemorated someone's birth." And that statement appeared once again in the International Jew colon. Oh my God. The world's foremost problem, Good a Lord. widely distributed set of anti-Semitic articles published in the Automobile Magnets Newsweekly during the 1920s. So not only did well, he write the more it, things change, huh? he published the, exactly, the more things wow. change. Yep. And so he was the publisher of, uh, of this pamphlet and distributed it. Damn. It goes on. People sometimes ask why 3 million Jews can control the affairs of 100 million Americans. Oh, my God. In the same way that 10 Jewish students can abolish the mention of Christmas and Easter out of schools containing 3,000 Christian pupils. What? I'm sure that's probably something that was going on in the era, but probably also not. Because I don't know Henry Ford. I mean, I'm sorry, I know Henry Ford. Henry Ford, I have no idea what you're talking about there. Um In 1959, it was the far-right John Birch Society that published a pamphlet alerting the nation to an assault on Christmas, quotes, carried out by UN fanatics. What they now want to put over on the American people is simply this. Department stores throughout the country are to utilize UN symbols and emblems as Christmas decorations. Huh. Many people... I know. uh, Like, okay, got it. Interesting. Weird, but fine if you want to believe that. Many people will tell you that modern Santa is dressed to match the red and white colors of a can of Coke and was popularized by Coca-Cola's advertising in the 1930s. Oh, okay, so that was kind of the word on Christmas now I'm moving into. I should have put a header here. into. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's wearing red. Um, so this is a, a good story, but the red and white Santa himself wasn't created to advertise Coca-Cola um, what did I write here? Okay, so we all think it was Coca-Cola that gave us the uh, Santa the Claus, Santa. right? Yeah. And red and white? No. No, that was done by White Rock Beverages back in 1923. Oh. White Rock ads with St. Nick ran in the 1920s in Life magazine. White Rock Santa ads also appeared all the way back in 1915 in the San Francisco Examiner. Oh. It's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, who was, the, who was our Christmas character, 
who is truly an advent of uh, a marketing gimmick. Uh. Um, the modern Santa is actually much older. He's a patchwork character, better than an amalgamate. I can't even say that word. I shouldn't try Amalgam. to use big words. Well, I want to say that's it. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to say that word because I can't say can't. that word. Okay. No, it's 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 true. Um, okay, so patchwork character woven together from different um, sources. This includes St. Nicholas, a 4th century Greek bishop who famously wore red robes while giving gifts to the poor, especially children. And then um, this article that I'm pulling this from left out how he saved sex workers, but um, I I really love that portion of the St. Nick story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Santa we know owes much to the Dutch figure Sinterklaas, who was also based on St. Nicholas, um, Let's see here. Uh, we also get some stuff from, um, what's his name? They just say Mr. Moore, and it's like Charles Clement Moore. But the guy who wrote Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yes. Um, yes. And he wrote that in 1823. Uh, and he wrote that because he he was from a state that celebrated Christmas um, in more of a way that we would know it. But Christmas could be a pretty... Um, raucous affair hmm. where people uh carolers would bang on your door sing a song and not necessarily a christmas carol right and then demand to come in and be fed and if you didn't allow them it's a little halloweeny here uh uh-huh. then then they could like not so much destroy your property but you know d- destroy your property Brad and I were talking about this yesterday because that song says to bring us some figgy pudding or we won't leave, basically. And uh, that's very different from now. Right. And that's exactly what that stems from. We won't leave until we get something. Yeah. Was a threat. (laughs) We're going to tear your house down if we don't get some fucking figgy pudding. We're going to barge in because we are drunk. It's cold. (laughs) We're singing. We're going to beat you bitches into giving us stuff. That would be a little right. scary. It would be a little scary. And so that's why Mr. Moore um, writes famously, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Oh. Because that's a wishful thing. Well, that was part of the, his experience. America was celebrated. America was celebrated. Yeah, sure it was. But <laughs> Christmas was celebrated in different ways culturally in different regions of the U.S. Um mm-hmm. He had the more quiet version, but still, there could have been carolers that came to his door and wow. were like, you better give us some figgy pudding or we're going to rip out all your trees out of your lawn. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Okay, so um, in the 1820s, there were advertisements for Christmas presents that uh, that became common in the United States. That's a weird sentence there, uh, but we're going to let that ride. Uh, by the 1840s, Santa himself was a frequent commercial icon in advertisements. Retailers, after all, had to find some way to clear out their year-end stock, uh, and the gift-giving oh. tradition took firm hold. In Boston in 1867, 10,000 people paid to see Charles Dickens give readings of his Christmas carol. A story light on biblical wow. events and heavy on the idea of generosity. Um down the coast in the same year, New York's Macy department store. I didn't know Macy's was around back then. Macy's decided it was worth keeping the doors open until midnight on Christmas Eve to allow for last-minute Christmas shopping. 
So even as early as 1867, we have documented wow. proof that there was a commercial sure aspect to Christmas, right? Uh -huh. um, Louisa May Alcott's novel, Little Women, was published in 1868. Its first line, Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents. Uh -huh. um, and then this bit I actually really love. Um, you may remember a very famous book called Uncle Tom's Cabin, written uh -huh. by Harriet Beecher Stowe published in 1850, famously credited with uh, starting the Civil War, right? Um, or inflaming passions of abolitionists around mm -hmm. a story of a black family unfairly enslaved. And so in Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1850, here's a quote. There are worlds, I'll do it Southern, there are worlds of money wasted at this time of year in getting things that nobody wants and nobody cares for after they are got. Mm. Thank you, Scarlett <laughs> O'Hara. Um, time, energy, and natural resources are poured into creating Christmas gifts, which the recipients most often did not like. Um, we could learn from the reformed Ebenezer Scrooge, who, Dickens declares, knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. On Christmas morning, the only physical gift he gave was a prized turkey. The huh. Christmas spirit had shown him that the turkey was sorely needed. Other than that, he gave people his company and his money, including a raise for Bob Cratchit. So it's kind of like money's really the um, driver for Christmas. Yeah. But I love this idea of, well, it's really that he brought his, that he attended, that he... Right, that that was his his gift, um, and so yeah, I mean, in short, that's that's uh, broad strokes war on Christmas. There we go. I guess we're now ready to rate our apology. Unless you All have right. any more around Christmas, no, Christmas, I mean, Christmas. The whole war on Christmas thing is just blown up over the years, and it's become this right wing nutcase thing. Like Hunter Biden's laptop. Who like gives a fuck? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but whatever. I mean, you do you, I guess, uh, America. Um, so our apology. Um, Stagliano didn't apologize himself, really. Um, right. Didn't really apologize at all. But, but the communications director for the diocese that he belongs to did write on their Facebook page, On behalf of the bishop, I express my sorrow for this declaration which has created disappointment in the little ones, and I want to specify that Monsignor Stelliano's intentions were quite different. He then picked up where the bishop left off, saying... Um, complaining about Santa Claus, a.k.a. consumerism. We certainly must not demolish the imagination of children, but draw good examples from it that are positive for life. So Santa Claus is an effective image to convey the importance of giving, generosity, and sharing. But when this image loses its meaning, you see Santa Claus, a.k.a. consumerism, the desire to own, buy, buy, and buy again, then you have to revalue it and give it a new meaning. So I think this apology sucked. Um, first off, Stagliano didn't apologize at all. Um, the PR guy came out and said some things, but he didn't really apologize either. Um, he didn't address what really happened. He just kind of said, you know, I'm sorry, we upset the kids. He didn't mean to upset the kids, but, you know, but Christmas is bullshit and it should be all about Jesus. Uh, so I give it a two out of ten because he did, I give two points because he did say that he expressed his sorrow. Um, so that was something, but very little. What do you think? Uh, 
Okay, great. So I was going to give it a zero, but you are right in that he did. So I'll give it a one, but now I'm tracking with that trend where I'm always like one below you now. (laughs) And that's not on purpose. And so, but I'll stick with that. Um, I'll I'll give it a one. Um, No, thank you. Don't accept it. What about the parents who actually maybe have family traditions around Santa Claus? Right. right? The, well, and they also the, have to deal with it. But, you know, I mean, it's it's not enough for you. Listen, church, you already have enough control over my life, right? Yeah. Give me Santa and leave me alone. Yeah. Let the kids have some fun. Right. Um, you remember the South Park Jesus versus Santa no. cartoon? No. That's how. So that's how South Park actually started. Um, I can't remember Matt Trey and whatever the other know. guy's name is. Yeah. So these two guys who were friends um, drew this cartoon of Jesus versus Santa, and it's Jesus and Santa getting into a boxing ring, and all the kids, <laughs> right, uh-huh. are the South Park kids as, as you know them in the same uh-huh. outfits, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but there wasn't any South Park. It was just something they did privately for some friends. That oh, ended up getting circulated around, um, I'll say Hollywood, right? Um, yeah. But among certain people. It and, went viral. And it went viral, but this is back in the early days of Before email. it was viral. Right. And uh, they somebody was like, you guys are really onto something here. Could we talk to you about developing this idea into, mm-hmm. and that's how South Park was burnt. Burn? I did not know that. Sure. Born. Um, I am the giver of knowledge. And Thank you were welcome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So South Park came from, it was, ca- I think it was even called Jesus versus Santa Claus. And my favorite scene is when they're in the ring and Santa Claus shows up and all the kids are like, yay. And Jesus um, stares at the kids and they have to shut up. <laughs> you Google it, That's YouTube funny. it, and you'll, you'll find it. I will look it. for it. I will look for it. It's, it's cute. It's short. It's like not even five minutes, I don't think. Okay. That's about my attention span these days. Yeah. Same. Unless so it's Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So we're rating 1.5 for the apology this time. Um, You're so, so good yay. at math. <laughs> do you have an apologies expected or who's sorry now this week? I do. Because do? I'm prepared. Yes, because I know that at the end of every segment, it only took 110 episodes <laughs> for me to say, hey, you better get an apology together. Awesome. Right? Good job. And so I have... I'm not sure if it's a who's sorry now. I think it might be a who's sorry now. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it might be an apology expected. I don't know. You All right, you'll tell me. Okay. Ready? Um, so I want an apology from, there we go. It's an apology expected, and I'll never okay. get it because he's dead. Um, mm. From J.P. Morgan's uncle. Okay. J.P. Morgan is a famous financier, kids. He was an uber-rich guy. He was like the Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg? Hello. (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, please. I would love to meet Mr. Zuckerberg. No. (laughs) Would you like to suckle something, Mr. Zuckerberg? All right. Uh, I've got to stop. Stopping. Stopped. Grow up. Grow up, Juliet. Okay, so... (laughs) Born in 1822, songwriter James Lord Pierpont composed the music and wrote the lyrics for A Holiday Standard, which we know today as Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. His older sister, Juliet, married, yeah, 
Um, and I didn't put that in. It's really her wow. name. Yeah. Um, his older sister, Juliet, she spells it wrong, um, married millionaire. <laughs> she married some millionaire and okay. then they had a kid. And so this guy, James Lord Pierpont, is indeed the uncle to J.P. Morgan. I see. Um, although Jingle Bells is now a Yuletide staple, there is no mention of Christmas or any other holiday aspect in the song. Some historical accounts report that the tune was first performed for a Thanksgiving service at the church of either Pierpont's father or brother, but the lyrics might have been too risque for a church audience. Given the songwriter's rebellious nature, which we'll get into, um, it shouldn't be surprising that Jingle Bells has a bit of a rebel without a cause attitude. There are lesser known verses of the song that describe picking up girls, drag racing in the snow, and a high speed crash. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The lyrics go it while you're young in the final verse of the uh, secular standard is hardly about a holy or silent night. Mm-hmm. So the song was originally called um, One Horse Open Sleigh. And it was first printed in 1857, and it was dedicated to John Ordway. Um, Ordway was a Boston doctor, composer, and organizer of a troupe of white men performing in blackface called or- Ordway's Aeolians? Weird. Don't know. Um, and so, basically, uh, uh, J.P. Morgan's uncle wrote Jingle Bells, and... It was performed in blackface, um, probably around September 15th, 1857, a pamphlet uh, that advertises the show, and One Horse Open Sleigh is one of the songs. Uh, It was performed by Johnny Pell, who was described as a member of the Dandy Darkies. Hmm. Um, So, here's here's the... Of course, I want an apology for that, right? But So... Pierpont um, was raised in a very religious family, and his father was an abolitionist, and he was raised in the North. Okay. But he became a believer in the Confederacy and the the Confederate cause, Mm. right? And uh, and he didn't like people of color. He did not like Mm. black people at all. Um, And so when he coat, when he coat, yes, high tongue, when he composed and wrote Jingle Bells, he did it with the intention of having it performed by a minstrel show. Um, so minstrel shows, blackface, right, mocked mm-hmm. black people. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Jingle Bells being sung by a black person is a black person who lives in the South who has never seen snow mm-hmm. singing about something that he's never seen before or experienced, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the mockery. Um, it's this it's a black person having never seen snow, never been in a sleigh, never or probably even heard. I don't know if carriages had bells on them or not, but I don't know, right? Um, and it's a lot of, we'll even say, potentially wishful thinking on yeah. the black person's part, right? It, it, or the caricature okay. of the black person. Sure. Um, so who knew that uh, Jingle Bells had been composed by a racist? Wow. I did not. Um, and then further, I'd be fine with like Jingle Bells being a, um, okay, well, so it was composed by racist, fine, but whatever, it's a nice song. But the idea that, we, you know, if you sit down and start reading or listening to the lyrics and then thinking about it, how would this mock a 
black slave. Um, it, I know it starts to fall into place a little bit for me. So it's like, hmm. I mean, I still love a song. I'm not like I'm not ever going to listen to it again. Nice. Um, but but I have now it's now it's tinged with something. I mean, we'll right. say the meaning has changed over time, and meanings are allowed to change. But there we go. Yes. Um, oh, what about you? Who's sorry now? Apology expected. Uh, apology expected. And we have a manager of an Olive Garden who's lost her mind this holiday season. I guess maybe it's been busy at the Olive Garden and people have been calling in sick because they wanted to go Christmas shopping or do whatever, you know, spend $200 on some ornaments. I don't know. Um, But she sent out an email to staff saying, from now on, if you call off, you might as well go out and look for another job. We are no longer tolerating any excuse for calling off. If you're sick, you need to come prove it to us. If your dog died, you need to bring him in and prove it to us. If this is a family emergency and you can't say too bad, go work somewhere else. She said, well, I'm assuming that she's a she, um, but it could have been a dude. I don't know. Um, The manager also said in the message that any employee who called out sick in the next 30 days would be fired and said that they had not called out once in their more than 11 years working for Olive Garden. So I'm expecting an apology from this manager of this Olive Garden. Um, There has not been one yet, although the Olive Garden says that they have since parted ways, which means that I believe the manager has been fired. I'm going to say, yeah, feels like a fireable thing, but um, so I love I'm, the part about bringing in your dead dog. If you uh, <laughs> call it, I love the part where died. they think they're going to find employees in this yeah. age where everybody is desperate to hire anybody they can find. Um, so good luck there. Um, but interesting to me that you you presumed the gender of the manager and female because. I know. I would have erred on the male side of that equation, right? Because, really? well, yeah, because that guys are mean, you know, and so that's me <laughs> being sexist, right? Theoretically, yeah, yeah, and so, so, I yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's my experience in retail or or what, but uh, I just assumed that it was a woman, so maybe I'm being sexist. Too bad, too bad I'm being sexist. Or you're being what, aspirational because a woman could never manage a restaurant, Juliet, please. <laughs> that's a good point. Yes, you're welcome. <sighs> All right. So that's it, I think, for this week. That's um, it for this week. Yeah. We're going to come back next week, which will be, I think, the week before Christmas. Is next week the week before Christmas already? Yes, Well, yeah. So we record on Sunday and the episode's yeah. released on Wednesday. So next Sunday is the 18th. And then yeah. it'll be released on the twenty first on the solstice. Sorry, pagans. Happy um, Happy Solstice. Happy Solstice um, coming up. And so, yes. So next week should be our Christmas, Christmas, Christmas episode because hey. this one was, but it's also not. <laughs> Got to find excited. something that's more Christmassy. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Take care. We love you. Stay cool, cucumbers. Bye. And we love you, but we love Christmas more. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>